Hi, you're listening to another message from Sunny Hill Church. Our prayer is that these messages encourage, empower, edify, and equip you to live for Christ in 2023. Be blessed as you listen in. to introduce myself. My name's Colin. For those who don't know me, I'm one of the senior leaders here at Sunny Hill. Um, and it's my privilege to bring to you the word and just talk to you about various things, but mainly about holiness. Um, it was interesting that uh, Zach mentioned ego uh, earlier, and we have messages about don't be afraid and things like that. But ego, um, sometimes when you get to, to preach, you can feel quite self-satisfied. Um, I had a moment um, this week when I was recording this message to go out, and I nailed it. I mean, I really, really was quite pleased with myself about how I managed to do it in one take, and it was really good. And then I watched myself back just to double-check. And um, I'm going to be uh, using a passage... Uh, today, and I started talking about it, and I, about seven times, I don't know, I haven't counted it, I said it was Israel, let's look at Israel, and how, and in Israel 6, uh, you need to talk about this, and when I spoke about Israel earlier, and I just kept on saying this, the only problem was, it was the passage was Isaiah, <laughs> Now, it's okay, I've dubbed over that one word, and I don't think anyone's going to notice if you watch it online later. Um, but you have those moments when you realise maybe you're not such a big deal after all, and you do need God's help in all things. But we're going to be looking at holiness today. Holiness is a big subject, so I won't get... Through you know, to talk about the whole lot, but it, just to bring a few ideas to us. Um, but before I do, I thought I'd talk, tell you a little story that came out of America about His Holiness the Pope. You may have heard of it. Um, he, was, um, on, he was going to the USA, and um, on his off time, he decided that he'd like to see a bit of the United States of America. So he drove, got his... Um, his uh, Popemobile and started driving uh, across the country. And he got about halfway, and unfortunately, the Popemobile broke down. So the only thing they could do was to hire a limousine and driver to carry on the journey. So there was the Pope sitting in the back of this limousine, and this private hire limousine driver was driving along merrily on the highway and um, thought he would just un. un- unwind the, you know, the, the, the barrier that goes between the back seat and the driver. And he says, excuse me, I'm awfully sorry to disturb you, your, your holiness. I just want to say it's a real privilege for me to drive you today. Uh, and if there's anything I can do to make things more enjoyable, then just let me know. And the Pope thought about this for a moment and um, said, well, actually, now I'm the Pope, there are some things I can't do. I used to love driving, and that's why I wanted to drive across America, you see, just to see the sights. It would be really good, because I'm not allowed to drive anymore, if if we could swap places, and I'll drive you. Would that be all right? And the driver goes, well, 
it would be an honour, yeah, okay. And so they swap places, the driver gets in the back and the Pope gets in the front and uh, the Pope's driving along and he's enjoying the view and cruising, putting his arm down up there and, and Alan Elias, lovely time. Only, unfortunately, he's used to driving in Europe where the speed limit's a little bit faster and um, his speed starts going up and up and up and a motorcycle cop pulls him over. And uh, the motorcycle cop happens to be a very good Catholic, so he instantly spots who's driving this limousine, stops in his tracks and goes, help, <laughs> what am I going to do? Quick, I know. And he goes back to his motorcycle and he, he radios back to headquarters and says, chief, chief, I need help. I've pulled over a really important person and I don't know how to handle it. And the chief says, oh, no, you haven't pulled over a state official again, have you? He said, no, 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 much more important than that. Oh, you pulled over the governor, have you? No, no, more important than the governor. Oh, you're not telling me you pulled over the presidential motorcade, have you? He says, no, even more important than the president. And the chiefs go, who's more important than the United States president? And the cop says, I don't know, but he's got the Pope driving for him. <laughs> I'm glad you laughed. I thought that was funny too. Um, it's got almost nothing to do with my talk except holiness. And um, we're going to look at holiness, what it means to us and how it relates to us. Holiness, I don't know about you, but holiness is not really that uh, popular subject to talk about. Um, it's got quite a bad rap in most of the world. To be holy is a bit removed and distant. You know, up there on the clouds, God is holy. Yeah, yeah, we get that. It's almost a passive in nature. It's, um, it's a bit static. It's almost negative to be holy. Very serious, definitely. It's a bit like a strict head teacher, you know? You get this impression of someone who's looking down on you, accusing you of being bad, okay? Um, that's what holiness sometimes comes across as. We even, even have little sayings like, he's holier than thou, meaning he's got so much pride in him that he's looking down on you. Or there's another one which is, he's so heavenly-minded He's no earthly good. Meaning that your, your mind is on so many wonderful, righteous things that you don't really connect with the rest of us and you're pretty useless down here on earth. Ultimately, I think holiness has got a wrap that we think of a morally good person. Someone who's morally good. That's what holiness is, isn't it? Well, the Bible has a slightly bigger idea of what holiness is all about. If the Bible was a dictionary, the one word under the definition of holiness would be the name God. God is holy. We know that, don't we? But if you think about it, God's character is holiness. His personality is holy. His core is holy. His very being is holy. He is the definition of holiness. 
You can't get more holy than God. In the Old Testament, they had um, a tricky job trying to describe God to people. They didn't have the English word very. So when they wanted to emphasize something, they would repeat. So something wouldn't be just holy, it would be holy, holy. Which is great, except when you get to God, holy, holy is just not good enough. So what do they say? They say holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He is the very definition of holy. He is Lord God Almighty, the creator of the universe. He is awesome in character, utterly unique, totally wonderful, extreme in his holiness. He is holy, holy, holy. But that's a little bit removed from our understanding, so it's a bit difficult to get our heads around what holiness really is. And I watched a, a really interesting video from the Bible Project, I'd recommend it, on holiness. And um, they used an illustration, they said, look at the sun. So we're going to look at the sun, there it is, in all its brightness. Um, it's obviously had a filter put across that, because if we look at the sun, it's actually not a very healthy thing to do, is it, for us humans? We have the clouds that sometimes shield us. But if we were to rise above the clouds into space and look at the sun, it would be utterly blinding to us. We are 93 million miles away from the sun, but it only takes about eight minutes for the sun's light to hit us, to travel all that distance. The closer you would get if you were to travel towards the sun, the more dangerous that experience would be. Because eventually you get to a point where you would be utterly vaporized by the sun's awesomeness and power. The sun even pursues us in darkness. When we turn away from the sun, the whole world rotates and we're at night. But we get the sun chasing us by reflection off the moon. The sun seems to just chase us into the darkness. It's a great illustration of God's holiness. The more light we have, the more clearer things become to us. We see things that were hidden. And that's a great illustration of holiness. Because holiness reveals things. It reveals cracks, obstacles. It reveals um, flaws in our character. Uh, a while ago, God gave me this picture of me walking down an alleyway, a dark alleyway in the middle of the night. And I was struggling to see where I was going. And then I came across a street lamp. A street lamp that was shining down and made this beautiful little pool of light around it. And I was encouraged, or I felt I was, to step into that pool of light. 
And that would be comforting. I'd be able to see what I was doing. I'd know how to act. And it, it would be great. Safe from anything that you couldn't see. The only problem is, if you step into the light, then things about you become revealed. All your flaws and wrinkles and cracks in your personality. And that ultimately was the choice I was given. Light is very intense at times. It's wonderful, but if you think about it, it can be a little bit terrifying too, like the sun. Many people don't like being on stage because it's an intense, awkward experience. All eyes are on you. You are center of attention and you get blaring <laughs> stage lights at you. That's uncomfortable for many, many people. Now, I've done this for many years and I've got used to it. And I've actually realized that there is a sense of being uplifted by the experience. It's quite an elating experience to be center of attention at times. Ego aside, it can really be a, a, a wonderful experience. Now, a lot of famous people say, but there's a cost, isn't there? Because as soon as you step onto stage, you become a known person. And then wherever you walk throughout your life, if you're a famous film star or whatever, everyone notices how you're behaving. And lots of people are taking snapshots of you to sell on the newspapers. Becoming center of attention, stepping into the light, is both a wonderful but also a terrifying experience at times. Well, what's it like to step into the presence of true holiness, to encounter God? Well, the Bible has a, a few episodes it records of people doing absolutely that. In Exodus 3, we read about Moses, his first encounter with the living God. And it says, The Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go and see. When the Lord saw Moses coming closer to take a look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. What do we learn from that? What did the people of God learn from that encounter when it was recorded or passed on? Well, firstly, they might have learned that God is a bit like a burning flame, pure and holy and all-consuming, but not all-consuming. Quite a paradox. We'd learn that it's dangerous to come too close to God, to his holiness. They would learn that perhaps they need to alter their appearance or their behavior as they get closer to holiness. 
Sandals were a symbol of impurity at that time because they created a, a barrier between your feet and the dirt on the ground. So taking them off removed some of that impurity. So little hints about how you approach holiness. Later on in Exodus 34, we, we hear about how Moses continued to encounter God. And it says this in verse 33. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. It was shining. What did the people of God learn from that? Well, encounters with holiness are obvious to see. They make an impression upon us which is noticeable to other people. I want you to think of the most holy person you've ever encountered in your life. I'm sure there's lots of good people. Try and think of someone you think, wow, yeah, that person is really, really holy. If it's me, I don't mind. <laughs> All right, maybe not me. Um, but whenever you're in their presence, have you ever felt really excited? Because they're really inspiring people to be around, aren't they? But also, have you ever felt a little bit awkward? Because they don't half make you feel inferior and not so holy, don't they? So there's this wonderful paradox of being around a holy person is like wonderful and intimidating at the same time. Lou Bird um, spoke last week about um, the angel that came and visited Mary. And uh, all the encounters with angels always seem to start the same way in the very first thing they say is something like, do not be afraid. Why? Well, because obviously their appearance is utterly terrifying to most human beings. Why is it that a being from heaven is so terrifying? I think it's because it's echoing the glory and the holiness of God. Now, in Israel, in biblical times, every good Jew knew that there were 10 degrees of holiness on earth. The first one was the land itself, the promised land, the state of Israel. When you entered into that land, you were entering into God's land. <clears throat> and then when you get to Jerusalem... Thank you, Jay. Um, when you get to Jerusalem, that is the second degree of holiness because you're entering into God's city, the city of Zion, where God chose to dwell. And then the third degree is the Temple Mount, where you're getting closer to God. And anyone's allowed into the land. Anyone can go to Jerusalem and do business. Thank you very much. 
you can even approach the Temple Mount. As long as you're being honouring and respectful of where you are, then you can approach. But then you're confronted with barriers. The first courtyard, only certain people are allowed in. The second courtyard, fewer are allowed in. Until finally you get to the inner courtyards, where only the elite priests are allowed in. And the ultimate holy of holies, that room that is shielded by the curtain or veil, only the high priest can enter the holy of holies. And then only once a year. And as you go through those stages, the rules and regulations get stricter and stricter and stricter. More cleansing, more sacrifices, more preparation. Because to enter holiness is a very serious business. How do they know it's a serious business? Well, they know from their history. When Moses went up to the, the, on the Mount of God to talk to God, then it was death for anyone who stepped onto the foothills. They knew that when Moses came down, bringing the Ten Commandments, they put them in the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant. And they took that Ark with them. But it was death if anyone touched that Ark who shouldn't. In fact, there's an episode later on when David moves the ark to Jerusalem as they're establishing the city of God. And it gets the, the um, cart is rocked and it looks like the ark is about to fall and someone just goes up and reaches up and touches the ark and they are instantly killed. It's a serious business to approach holiness. The high priest who enters the Holy of Holies has to have a cord tied around the ankle just in case the encounter with God kills them. That sounds a bit strange to us, doesn't it? But that's how serious it was. You get approached God and you are endangering your life. Because no one else can pull them out, can go in and collect the body. They had to have a means to drag the body out of the Holy of Holies if something happened. It sounds far-fetched, doesn't it? Until you read the story at Christmas of Zachariah, the father of John the Baptist. He was a priest. He was on duty. It was his turn to go and burn incense on the inner altar. And when he went in, we read it in Luke 1, verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. There's that fear again. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Trouble is, Zachariah didn't entirely believe that statement. He had a bit of doubt because he and his wife were well past childbearing age. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God 
and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. I think there's a lesson for all of us there. If a supernatural being, the right hand of God, comes to you and tells you something, listen to them and believe them, okay? Because there are consequences if you don't. Now, not all of us have had that experience. I'm not sure any of us in this room have. But it is a serious business when you encounter true holiness. I don't think we really understand what holiness is. Our experience is so limited. We don't know how to recognize true holiness, let alone know how to behave around true holiness. The first encounter humans had with holiness is recorded in Genesis 3, um, where the Adam and Eve story, um, they're in the Garden of Eden, and God is, is used to coming to them and walking around paradise with them in the evenings. And yet one day, they choose to disobey God. And when he does approach, and they hear him coming, their reaction is to hide. Because they're ashamed of their behaviour. They're ashamed that they have disobeyed God. I think that's our natural experience when we come in the presence of holiness. We feel awkward. Well, the story carries on. Because of their sin, because they disobeyed God, they were kicked out of the garden. Paradise was lost. It almost seems cruel. But it's not cruelty to remove impurity from purity. Paradise would not have been paradise if sinful people were allowed to carry on walking around it and living in it. Purity has to stay pure, surely. That's perhaps why there are so many barriers to holiness. We have a, a modern Christian saying in church circles that says this, if you're searching for the perfect church, whatever you do, don't join it. Because we know that we will spoil the things of God. We are imperfect and our sin corrupts the world around us. The mistakes we make, the, the hurts we cause, these affect people and there are consequences to our thoughts and our actions. But I think we need to look again at the nature of holiness. Holiness is not up there, removed, static, passive. I think there's something else revealed in Scripture. Light chases into the darkness, doesn't it? It has a transformative nature. And so does holiness. Moses' face shone whenever he encountered holiness. Zechariah was blessed with a child when he encountered holiness. In Isaiah, not Israel, Isaiah 6, we read, 
of a uh, story about how Isaiah had a vision. He was called up into the heavenlies and actually stood in front of the throne of God. The problem was, Isaiah knew the consequences of that. He knew the rules. You can't enter holiness because you will be vaporized. You will be destroyed because of your sinfulness. So he says this, it's all over. I'm doomed for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among my people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king. The Lord's heavens, Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to him with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, Here I am. Send me. I think that's a really revealing picture of holiness. Frightening, awesome, unapproachable in many ways, but actually unstoppable in its desire to reach out. Instead of barring imperfection, holiness' response is something different. Something comes from the very presence of God, touches the lips of Isaiah and purifies him. I think that reveals the heart of holiness. And also, it is a process of transforming impurity into purity. Paradise saved. If that was to happen to all of us, this would become heaven on earth. The heart of holiness is revealed in this passage because the very next thing, after Isaiah is purified, the Lord says, Whom shall I send? Who will go to these people? There's a yearning to transform the impure to cross the great divide, to alter the outcome of sin, to turn darkness into light. There's another passage in Ezekiel. Ezekiel has a vision, this time of another holy place, the holy temple of God. And in Ezekiel 47, verse 1, it says this, I saw a stream flowing east from beneath the door of the temple. And then verse 8. This river flows east through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea. The waters of this stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. There will be swarms of living things wherever the water of this river flows. What a picture. I don't know if you noticed, but for me, when I, I read that passage, I almost noticed the subversive nature of holiness. The gate, the, the door, the entrance of the temple is shut. We can't get in. 
Yet, holiness finds a way. Trickling out under the door, spreading across the landscape. If you read that passage, wherever it goes, trees start springing up, flowers, nature comes alive again. The Dead Sea, the Dead Sea in in the land of Israel is dead because water flows into it but doesn't flow out. It gets saltier and saltier because the water is evaporated in the sun. And basically it's dead because nothing lives in it. Yet here is a picture of the renewal process when holiness comes to town. We have a God who doesn't obey the rules that seem to be in place. There isn't rejection for unholiness because the nature of holiness is to reach out and transform. Holiness can't even be contained by its own rules. The ultimate expression of holiness on earth we celebrate at Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus. He was a real expression of what holiness was all about. He would touch the lepers and heal them. You're not supposed to do that. He would um, heal the broken. He um, He would dine with sinners and get a reputation for it. He would break the rules of what a religious rabbi should be. He even touched corpses and raised them from the the dead. That's not what you're supposed to do if you want to be holy. Why did he do it? Well, Jesus told us why. And in John 5, verse 19, he says this. Jesus explained, I tell you the truth. The Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Jesus, the Son of both God and man, what is his greatest desire? What is this great expression of holiness on earth do? He wants to do what his father is doing. He wants to reach out and connect. He wants to transform, to reclaim the lost and the broken. Transforming not only physically, but spiritually. And in 1 Peter 1, verse 15, we read this. But now you must be holy in everything you do. Just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. Now I don't know about you, but I've read that a lot of times. And I've almost passed over it, going, yeah, yeah, yeah. God is holy and I need to be holy because God is good. And I need to be good, don't I? Because being good is right, the right thing to do. But I didn't realise until this week how subversive, how 
rich in meaning that verse is. Be holy because I am holy. We have a calling on our lives, those who follow Christ, to be holy, to be an expression of holiness. And connected with the expression of holiness is this characteristic that reaches out to connect with other people, to be an answer to their needs, to heal, to love, to bring them in to this wonderful relationship with God. Because when Isaiah, remember, was purified, the very next thing the Lord asked him, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And he said, here I am. Send me. The question I want to leave you with is this. Are you ready to be part of the holiness movement? This unstoppable force in this world. We may have rules and regulations, but holiness finds a way to impact the world around it, to transform lives. Are we committed enough to say, here I am, send me. Are we committed enough to shine out, to shine for Jesus, to allow the holiness of God to transform us so much that it has an impact on the people that we meet, on the environments that we spend our time in, the families that we live with, the workplaces that we go to, the social circles that we engage in. Is that holiness obvious? You see, holiness is not a passive, negative thing. Holiness has purpose. It's an active force. So let's engage in it. Let's change our mindset and let holiness come through us.